Hello and welcome to A History of Electronic Music, Part 9. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul Sheiky, and today I'm going to be talking about ambient music. So the music in the background gives you a little bit of a clue of how it's going tonight. Hopefully it'll be quite relaxing for you. The term ambient music was first coined by Brian Eno in the late 1970s. But the music did exist way before that, although perhaps not in quite so pure a form as on Eno's albums. In the late 19th century and early 20th century, there was the calm and mesmeric music of Eric Satie and Claude Debussy, which was a rebellion against the huge Wagnerian symphonic works that were popular at the time. Then, of course, there's good old John Cage, who created the ultimate ambient piece of music, 4 minutes 33 seconds, of which this is an extract. Of course, that's a bit of a joke, as 4 minutes 33 seconds, or 4-3-3, is a silent piece of music. Or rather, the instruments remain silent, and the music is the normal everyday sounds that go on during the 4 minutes and 33 seconds of the performance. The ambience is the music. But Cage wasn't the first to conceive of a completely silent piece of music. There was Alphonse Alaise's Funeral March for the Obsequies of a Deaf Man from 1897, Erwin Schulhoff's In Futurum from 1919, and Eve Klein's Monotone Silence Symphony from 1949, which all contained long silent passages. However, Cage's was the first silent piece specifically designed to highlight the fact that there's no such thing as silence, the key idea being that music is in the ear of the listener. Another major player in the development of ambient music was the father of minimalism, who, for some reason I forgot to mention when I talked about minimalism earlier, but his name's Lamont Young. Now, Young drew influence from a diverse range of sources, electricity transformers, Cage, Stockhausen, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and perhaps most importantly, Indian classical music, some of which you can hear in the background. Uh, this particular piece is by Ravi Shankar, who was very popular in the late 60s and particularly influential in that he introduced George Harrison of the Beatles um, to the sitar, which quite influenced their sound in the late 60s. Now, some Indian raga contains a constant drone, which can help induce a trance-like meditative state in the performer and listener. Throughout the early 60s, Young experimented with drones and alternative tunings. In 63, he formed the Theatre of Eternal Music, which is also known as the Dream Syndicate, with his wife Marion Zazila. John Cale, who went on to become the drone master of the Velvet Underground, was also a member of it at that time, and apparently Terry Riley also occasionally played with them. This all in Greenwich Village in New York, by the way. A pioneer of electric drone music, Young was also a pioneer of ridiculously long titles, like the 1964 piece 
the blue sawtooth high tension line step down transformer refracting the legend of the dream of the tortoise traversing the 189-98 lost ancestral lake region illuminating quotients for the black tiger tapestries of the drone of the holy numbers try asking that down your local record shop anyway so here's some lamont young an extract from his 1969 piece Map of 49's dream the two systems of 11 sets of galactic intervals. I didn't play much of that because it doesn't change a great deal and I'm sure the actual full version is extremely long but it's quite interesting if you listen to that with any with any device that has pan control um, try panning it the two different ways and then see how it combines together and you do get some quite interesting effects actually or alternatively you could just listen to a fridge anyway Young's influence quickly spread but it was up to his contemporaries, Terry Riley, Steve Reich, Philip Glass, the Velvet Underground, etc., to bring minimalism and drone music to a larger worldwide audience. Recording and distribution technologies were making the world smaller. And in fact, it's the growth of the record as a medium that's very important in the development of ambient music. The ability to listen to music in your own home, in relaxing and familiar surroundings, rather than with a bunch of strangers in a concert hall or club, allowed for a more meditative attitude to take hold. Ambient music puts the listener to the fore. Records create the space to listen. Recording technologies also allowed for a greater degree of cross-cultural musical exchange than ever before. And in Europe and America, there was great interest in so-called ethnic music. And this next track is a good example of that. And it starts a little section that could perhaps be called Krautrock Part 3, because I'm going to play three... Um, early 70s German tunes. This is by Holger Zuke, one of the founder members of Cannes, and he was assisted by Rolf Dammers. It's from the 1969 album Canaxis, and it's called Boat Woman Song.
a short extract from Boat Woman's Song by Holkazuke, an early example of ethno-ambient, I guess. And it also featured some traditional singers from Vietnam. And straight on with the ambient kraut rock, and some Cluster. It's from their second album, Cluster 2, and it's made before the influence of the motoric beat. This is Live in Der Fabric. Cluster, live in the fabric, from the album Cluster 2 from 1972. Straight on with the music, and finally in the Krautrock Ambient Trilogy, some Faust, from the album Faust 4 from 1974. I'll tell you what it's called afterwards.
a short extract from Lauft hebt das es Lauft oder es kommt bald Lauft from Faust from the Faust album Faust 4 from 1974 now this kind of proto ambient was gaining in popularity in the early 70s especially with hippies and those involved in psychedelia and mind altering substances the otherworldly character of this music meant it's sometimes known as cosmic music, or in German, kosmisch music. A good example of this is the band Gong, who were formed in 1967 by David Allen, formerly of Soft Machine, and Jilly Smith. And they've played with various people through the years, including guitarist Steve Hillage, who was a member in the early 70s. And also notably, they were one of the first signings of Virgin Records, and Virgin Records, of course, at this time were very much at the forefront of ambient music and lots of different kinds of electronic and experimental music. Gong's most famous work is the Radio Gnome Trilogy, which was made from 1973 to 74, which is part of the Gong mythology, a bizarre and hilarious science fiction fantasy narrative which involved flying teapots, Zero the Hero and Fruitcake. For more details of the Gong mythology, you can check out their page on Wikipedia because it's it's worth a look. It's quite amusing. Um, this is from the Radio Gnome Trilogy's third album, You, from 1974. And this is a, an extract from Magic Mother Invocation. A very short extract from Magic Mother Invocation by Gong. Obviously, a lot of the things tonight are extracts because ambient music isn't exactly known for its shortness of its tracks. Beyond Gong, David Allen also released solo albums that were quite ambient in character, and they were also somehow part of the Gong mythology. This next piece is from the 1976 album Good Morning, although... It only appeared on for the first time on the CD release, which was released in 1990. But apparently it was written around that time, because apparently Gong occasionally used to use it as they walked on stage to do live shows. So this is David Allen and Uterp Gratitude Peace.
Terp Gratitude Peace by David Allen from 1976, recorded on the island of Mallorca, I believe, and Uterp was the name of the Catalan band that collaborated on the album. I think most of the rest of the album is quite different to that, but that's the little gem that was on there on the 1990 CD release. Around about this time, 76, Brian Eno was also producing Ambient. I have to say now that I can't go into all aspects of uh, Brian Eno's career at this time, but I probably will do a program about him later on. But I'm just going to concentrate on the ambient works at the moment, and particularly the years 75 to 82. For now, it's enough to say that he was very much inspired by the minimalist composers, and that he had some pop success in the early 70s, which left him with a record deal and freedom to explore his musical ideas and also with a very good reputation with a lot of established artists. In January 1975, Brian was knocked down by a taxi and was quite seriously injured. After being discharged from hospital, he recuperated in his flat in Maida Vale in London, where his friend Judy Nylon brought him a record of 18th century harp music. After she'd left, with a great effort, he put the record on, then fell back into bed, only to realise that the volume on his hi-fi was so low that the music was barely audible. Too weak to get up and change it, he listened to it as it was, and a new mode of hearing presented itself. The music became part of the environment, mixing with the sound of the rain, interacting with the colour of the light. More like a tint to the surroundings than a single focal point for your attention. Thus, the concept of ambient music was born but not yet in name. The resulting album was Discrete Music. On it, Eno also experimented with generative music. That is, music where you set up machines to repeat a pattern and make small changes in the sound and timing. So the machines are doing most of the work and the composer has only limited input. In this case, he used the sequencer on an EMS Synthi AKS to play out a couple of simple melodies which were fed to Revox tape machines arranged in a specific way, and I'll tell you a little more about that later. Eno also messed about with the equalisation of the output of the synthy at the same time. So let's have a little listen. This is from Discrete Music from 1975.
extract from Discrete Music from 1975. Discrete Music was originally intended as a background for his friend guitarist Robert Fripp to improvise over. In fact, the looping techniques used on its creation have come to be known as Frippertronics. Here's an explanation of what Frippertronics are, taken from the fan site enoweb.co.uk. Frippertronics isn't so much a tape loop as it is a tape delay and looped signal. Conventional tape loops are cut and spliced together at the ends to form a loop. Frippertronics uses a reel of tape on one reel-to-reel and records on that machine. The tape runs out to a take-up reel on a second reel-to-reel instead of on the first deck and the signal is played back on the second deck and also can be looped back and mixed into the electronic inputs on the first unit. This creates a degenerative delay which, with level control on the feedback signal, can be used to sustain a repeating loop or to let it decay into tape hiss and infinity. And here's another example of Frippertronics in action from the Robert Fripp and Brian Eno album Evening Star from 75. This is an extract from Index of Metals. of an index of metals from Fripp and Eno's 75 album Evening Star lots of lovely hiss in there now we've heard some Cluster and we've heard some Eno so now let's hear a collaboration between the two 
They actually made a, a couple of albums together in the 70s. Um, the first one was Cluster and Eno from 1977. And this is a track called Ho Renomo. short extract from Horonomo from the 1977 album Cluster and Eno. Now, although ambient music was in existence at this time, it wasn't named as such. That is until Eno's 1979 release, Ambient One, Music for Airports. This is from the sleeve notes. Over the past three years, I've become interested in the use of music as ambience, and I've come to believe that it is possible to produce material that can be used thus without being in any way compromised. To create a distinction between my own music experiments in this area and the products of the various purveyors of canned music, I have begun using the term ambient music. He goes on to say that ambient music is intended to induce calm and a space to think. Ambient music must be able to accommodate many levels of listening attention without enforcing one in particular. It must be as ignorable as it is interesting. Here's a track from that album, and it features long tape loops gradually drifting out of sync with each other, a la Steve Reich, and the vocal talents of Krista Fast, Christine Gomez, and Inga Zeininger.
part of track one side two from Eno's 1979 album Music for Airports. In it you can hear some of the standard musical ideas that characterise ambient music. Simple repetitive structures, flowing chords, delicate melodies and occasional near silences. Basically things at the edge of hearing. Music for Airports was the first of a series of four ambient albums. On the second, Ambient 2, The Plateau of Mirror, Eno collaborated with American minimalist Harold Budd. The album consists mainly of Budd's piano improvisations, but they were treated and manipulated by Eno, and sometimes even played back to Budd as he was improvising, so he's improvising with his own work, but sent through a tape loop. This particular track features instead of a normal piano, an electric piano.
Plateau of Mirror from The Plateau of Mirror from 1980. Harold Bird and Brian Eno. Ambient 3, Day of Radiance, is actually by American musician Laraji, who Eno discovered busking in Washington Square Park. Eno produced the album, which involves mainly zither and hammered dulcimer, with very little in the way of electronic processing. However, I do have to play some of it now just for the sake of comprehensiveness. This is part of Meditation Number 2 from Day of Radiance 1980. Part of Meditation Number 2 by Laraji, produced by Brian Eno in 1980. For the final part of the Ambient Tetralogy, Eno went solo again. Ambient 4, on land, comprised various musical ideas from the previous years with the ultimate design of creating a sense of place or landscape, whether real or imaginary. He also began to think differently about the production methods he used. This is from the sleeve notes of the album. I found the synthesizer, for example, of limited usefulness because its sound tended towards a diagrammatic rather than an organic quality. My instrumentation shifted gradually through electromechanical and acoustic instruments towards non-instruments like pieces of chain and sticks and stones. Coupled with this transition, was an increasing interest in found sound as a completely plastic and malleable material. I never felt any sense of obligation about realism. In this category, I included not only recordings of rooks, frogs and insects, but also the complete body of my own earlier work. As a result, some earlier pieces I worked on became digested by later ones, which in turn became digested again. The technique is like composting, Converting what would otherwise have been waste into nourishment. So let's have a listen to some of that nourishment. This is Lizard Point.
Some of Lizard Point from On Land, the darkest of Brian Eno's ambient tetralogy. Well, that's nearly it for this program. And thanks to the person that sent me some money. Thanks also to Bals Hoffman, who sent me an image to put on iTunes. Um, if you'd like to send an image for History of Electronic Music, I'll put it on iTunes for you happily. It has to be a 600 by 600 JPEG. And you can email it to me at shekel at hotmail.com, S-H-E-E-K-L. I'm sure you've already know that email now because you, hopefully you've listened to all the previous episodes of this. But anyway, I'll tell you now. You can also check out my website at www.triptreeproductions.co.uk. Next time I'll be doing part one of a 70s roundup and I'll be looking in particular at Jean-Michel Jarre and Vangelis but there'll be some other music thrown in there as well. And apologies for how long you have to wait between these podcasts for the people that are up to date with it. But I do have a lot on. I do have to do a lot of other things besides this. And one every three months is about all I can manage at the moment. Hopefully next year I can do better. But until the end of this year, I can only really expect to do another two of these. So rather than any with my normal theme tune today though, I'm going to finish with a Brian Eno track, perhaps one of the most famous ambient tracks going, from the 1983 album Apollo Atmospheres and Soundtracks, is the appropriately named and ending. And good night, see you next time.